Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I have three questions for you. What would you do if an alien armada was threatening the entire human race? Second question. Would you consider it justifiable to do anything, whatever it took, to preserve mankind in the face of such an overwhelming threat? The third question, do you have what it takes to be a Spartan? Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. Today, we're talking about Halo. Not just Halo. The heroes that make the Halo universe what it is. The Grunts. The Spartans. Oh. <laughs> the grunts. Sorry, yes. The You're Spartans. right. This episode is all about the Grunts. <laughs> uh, my name is Connor Howard. I am your host for this evening, or afternoon, or morning, or whenever you're listening to this. And joining me today... Mr. Jaden. Uh, I usually listen to mine in the shower, but yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Jaden, everyone. How's it going? <laughs> it's good to have you. I'm, I'm psyched to be a part of this. This is technically my first episode with the network. And uh, this and topic, they stuck honestly, you with me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> hey, they got to haze the new guy a little bit, right? Absolutely. But I'm, I'm so psyched for this to be my first official topic. You know, just I've, I've always been fascinated with the Spartan programs that kind of lurk in the the background lore of the Halo games, they aren't explored in a lot of detail in the games themselves. So we have to look into the books and the comics and the whatnot to really get an idea for who these people were. And today, Jaden, I wanted to talk specifically about where they came from, specifically as children, and what they gave up and what was taken from them in the process of turning them into the super soldiers that we know and love. I was going to say, you should absolutely not say what they were given because they were not given anything. If anything, they were, had things taken away from them, ripped away. You could argue they were, they were given an incredible skills, training equipment, but they, they never really had much choice in the matter, at least when we're talking about the Spartan twos. Is that fair to say? I would say so, yes. I mean, on the one hand, uh, I'm sure they were, if you were like, hey, kid, you know, come up to a little 10-year-old Jade and said, hey, you want to be a superhero? <laughs> I would have been like, yes, absolutely. Sign me up. You would get little Jaden's little signature on a little dotted line. Oh, so fast. absolutely. But what's interesting, sadly, that's not how the Spartan twos were created. Uh, <laughs> if you look into the clandestine operations of the ONI, the Office of Naval Intelligence, ONI, which is, of course, the kind of black ops boogeyman of the uh, human military in the Halo setting, um, they are the arm of the UNSC that makes everything happen. And they're the ones behind the original Spartan program. Um, if we go even further back, but before the Spartan twos, we had to, we had to deal with the Orion project. Is that-, that is. And in fact, um, one of the earliest, uh, inductees for the program is, uh, a man that we all know and love Sergeant Johnson. He was actually part of the original, uh, Mjolnir armor project. 
Yeah, pro- the Orion project kind of was an attempt to introduce this powered exoskeleton, this power armor to uh, the UNSC Marines and Sergeant Avery Johnson, you know, the the real hero of the Halo games. Absolutely. We're being <laughs> he, he was one of the test subjects, but they found out that basically no normal person could operate the Mjolnir armor without breaking every bone in their body, essentially. Which it, it's so funny to me that they built all these armor suits and then realized, oh, shoot, we never actually thought about the person we're putting inside of them. <laughs> that that minor detail of the operator inside the armor, yeah. Which um, minor, minor love the UNSC, their, their uh, solution to, instead of going back and uh, engineering this armor to make it more functional, they start, decide to experiment on their soldiers. And then they <laughs> realize, oops, these guys can't survive the process. They're way too old. How do right. we fix yeah, this? It came to the point where, hey, let's, instead of just putting good armor on soldiers let's put really really good soldiers into this really good armor and yeah like like you said Jaden, you have to go you have to go straight to the source you got to start them young and start them young they did the office of naval naval intelligence basically had a massive uh, surveillance program this massive surveillance effort that kind of surveyed children from all across the human colonies searching for uh, leadership qualities, uh, exceptional genetics, and you know, physical makeup, uh, intelligence, everything that made a kid promising, they wanted. Uh, Spartans 2s, it was a grand total of 75 children. That's correct, who essentially were kidnapped. That's <laughs> the, not the yeah. kind word for it, but it's pretty correct. They were, uh, well, not only were they kidnapped, um, but in order to erase them from history, they were actually uh, replaced by Flash clones. That's Which right. in and of itself is very funny to me because these Flash clones were designed to die uh, very soon after so that the parents wouldn't miss their children. But once again, this is such a great thing of, uh, of Oni. They're, they gloss over the fact it's like, you know, the scientists go, wait, how did these parents not know they're missing? They went, oh, well, we cloned them and killed their clones. Wait, we can clone <laughs> them? Why didn't we just it's- use the clones? No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Well, I guess cloning technology, they, it wasn't stable enough that the clones kind of degrade anyway. So that's that's how they covered their tracks like you said like the flash clones die of seemingly natural causes so no one questions it just out of nowhere around 72 pairs of parents around the colonies just had their kids die mysteriously you know no big deal it happens no (laughs) it happens absolutely it happens meanwhile the real children the original children were taken to the planet reach you know the military stronghold of unsc and they're given some of the most rigorous military training you've ever seen and again these are children probably around about seven, eight years of age, maybe six, as low as six. And they're, they're basically told you cannot go back to your old life. You are a soldier now. This is your life. This is, you know, what you're going to do. And, uh, you, uh, you have been selected for a very important task. It's like military indoctrination. It's beating the mission into them. Absolutely. And kind of just turning them into, uh, living weapons over the years. And this was not easy training. You know, there was that one, um, kind of recon exercise explained in the book where they're dropped in the middle of the forest and said, Hey, uh, hike your way back to base or you live out or die out here basically. And you got to remember this indoctrination is not just in the physical training that they suffered. It's in the mental and psychological, uh, training as well. These children, their, their last names were taken from them. They were given their first, they were allowed to keep their first names. That is the only piece of their former life that they were allowed to keep. And honestly, I think that was out of convenience because teaching a kid a new name was probably very difficult for them. Right. So they just decided, hey, you know what? 
uh, you're John 117. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I accept that now. Yeah, you don't have a name. It's just a designation. That's like your military code name. Fred, Kelly, Linda, Sam. That's that's it. No last names. And what's what's kind of creepy is a lot of these kids just kind of went along with it. I mean, John is a classic example because you know, he, he's a, he's an easy example because he's the Spartan most of us are familiar with. John one one seven, the Master Chief. He was the kind of kid who just wanted to win. All he cared about was being the best, and so this program gave him the opportunity to do that. And I think that was kind of a trait that they selected for. They wanted kids who just had a drive to succeed. They would be more likely to go along with the training. But that's, you know, that's beside the point. Otherwise, the Spartan II, you know, candidates, they they all eventually graduated the training. But then that takes us to the augmentations. And that's a really important part of the Spartan II story. Because these, uh, I mean, these were very experimental and very, very unsafe procedures that would do stuff like bond some sort of ceramic carbide alloy onto their bones, uh, musculature enhancements, like metabolism boosts. Uh, it made them grow super tall. Like they were, yeah, they would, they were uh, well beyond the, the, the height that they were supposed to be at that age. Right. In fact, John was described as being taller than most men at that point, right. even at that point extreme changes to their physicality and also the reflexes. I think their nerve endings were just tweaked to the point where they, everything was slow-mo to them. They were moving so fast and reacting so fast. These were just freakish enhancements, but that came at a cost. What, what was the fatality rate again, Jaden? It was something like so about half of them. Of the, of the, of the 75 kids that were in the program, uh, it killed 30 of them. Wow. And it rendered uh, twelve more. Uh, they they called. They said that they washed out of the program, but that meant full body paralysis. Right. So if you didn't die, if you were lucky enough to not die from the procedure, you ended up either a complete vegetable, or you had you know you were paraplegic or something like that. There, there was one particular Spartan named uh, Farhad. I think uh, he was quadriplegic. He was stuck in a wheelchair the rest of his life. Um, and these Spartans were allowed to serve as, you know, tactical analysts and things like that, but they were taken off combat duty. And to the the general consensus of the of these Spartans that was uh it was worse than death to be crippled and not able to fight. Like a lot of them wish that they had died on the table. And that again just goes to show you just how much that indoctrination worked and how much it turned these kids into fighting machines that cared nothing. Uh, cared about nothing but the mission. There was um, a story that uh, that you hear not long after his augmentation. John went to the uh, to the workout room to get some to just test his new abilities, and he was attacked out of nowhere by three UNSC officers. And he dispatched, and they were all about twice his size. He dispatched all three of them with no problem. And these were these were actually ODSTs, weren't they? They were orbital drop yes. shock troopers, like badass dudes, no pushovers. And, uh, and apparently like, I, I remember reading there, she, uh, Halsey was surprised he didn't kill them. Yeah. She was like, wow, why, why didn't he kill them? And they were like, we don't know. That's so strange. We thought he would have murdered them. And like, they yeah, were, that, ex- and they were actually disappointed <laughs> by that. The fact that he didn't just ruthlessly murder these three guys. Yeah. I thought he would be a little bit more bloodthirsty. Can we, uh, yeah, God, we, we fucked up. <laughs> we just, ah, we must've, we get, we gave him that high five when he was seven. There's where we went wrong. <laughs> We we didn't uh, feed him raw meat like a wolf when we were training them. That was probably where we screwed up. 
<laughs> Should just raise them like wolves. He thinks he's people. That's the problem. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, going back to John's attitude, you know, just being jumped by people who should be friendlies. You know, I think there's a quote uh, from either one of the movies or from the Fall of Breach book. It's explained that John had only three ways of interacting with other people. If you were his commanding officer, he did what you said. If you were on his team, he would die for you. If you were an, uh, if you were a threat, God help you. And that's it. No, yeah, you know, friendships, no, no deeper relationships, no hobbies. And we'll get into that a little bit more later, just in terms of what was lost and you know what these kids don't have anymore. But that that gives you a sense of just how deadly these these people became. And you know, over the years, they did grow up. Uh, they became adults, but by the time the Spartan twos were basically combat ready and they had gotten their Mjolnir armor and everything, that's when the Covenant War kicked off. One thing you got to remember too is that these kids, this was, they were not designed to fight the Covenant. They were designed to fight insurrectionalists. That's right. And it's, it's a good thing that they were around when the Covenant showed up, for sure. We interrupt this podcast for a preview for a different podcast. I'm Bruce, a regular contributor to Lore Party. In the unforgiving world of the gods, there is an endless, vicious cycle of fathers killing sons, brothers killing brothers, and sons killing mothers. But Kratos, the ghost of Sparta, looks to end that cycle with his son Atreus as they journey through the various realms of the Norse pantheon. Tune into our God of War episodes where my co-host Abu and I discuss the latest installment in the God of War series from 2018 and the insightful ways the game creates more depth in a beloved franchise. Just check out our lore party feed and search God of War. It should be easy to find. We now continue your regularly scheduled podcast. Do you want to get into the Spartan 3s at this point, Jaden? The Spartan 3s are a whole different animal. These kids, uh, these they were created during the Covenant War at a time when humanity was losing very, very badly. So the uh, command center said, uh, I know we kind of went slow with the last batch of Spartans that we made, but these guys, uh, we're going to do what the army does best. We're going to make them cheap, <laughs> we're going to make them fast, and we're going to make them expendable. Yeah, the uh, Spartan 2s were kind of like kind of like the Cadillac, whereas the Spartan 3s were more like a Ford Pinto or a GMC Absolutely. <laughs> just like, that is a great analogy. Just roll them off the assembly line, get them onto the road. They won't last that long, but who cares? The Spartan twos were, you know, that was a heavy investment. Like to, to get them from kidnapped off the street, taken from their families, broad daylight, middle of the night, whatever, up until they're armored, equipped, and ready to go. That's years and years of training. That's tr- probably billions of dollars. So a, a guy named Colonel James Ackerson of the UNSC Army was the brains behind Spartan threes, and a big difference uh, between threes and twos. Other than the just general approach of making them more, you know, cost effective and you know numerous, was that these are children not you know pre-selected, pre-screened for special capabilities. These are just any kids available who were orphaned by the Covenant War. So the problem with the Spartan twos was they could they could fight like the devil on the ground. They could wipe out entire Covenant armies on the ground, but they couldn't necessarily take that success into orbit, into space, and space battles were going very, very, very badly for the UNSC. The only reason that we, uh, the UNSC was able to take back the planet uh, of Harvest, which was the first planet the Covenant ever attacked, was because they brought in a fleet that was, that was five times the size of the Covenant fleet. 
and it was the best that the UNSC could do, and they still lost, I think it was two-thirds of their fleet doing so. Yeah, and that was pretty normal for the for the most of the war. Yeah, and the Navy was like, that was great. <laughs> that was- it was it was so bad that um I remember reading in the books uh the UNSC fleet would have every available ship on the planet be sent into battle regardless of its capability to fight. In fact, uh, you would read about uh, ships that were basically just floating repair docks being sent to the front lines of flotillas to be target saturation, which is basically just to make their fleets look bigger and more imposing and maybe scare the Covenant off, which they never did because they're fanatical, you know, crazy people. Yeah, scare tactics didn't really work on them that well. But the point being, space battles weren't going well. And as a result of that, entire planets were just being burned and turned to glass by the Covenant fleet. And as a result of that, a lot of families were being wiped out. So a lot of kids were without parents. And these orphans would invariably end up in the UNSC's care. And so Colonel James Ackerson has the idea, let's let's turn these kids into soldiers. (laughs) They got nothing else to do. They got no families. No one's going to miss them. Why not? Let's give them a gun and some some armor and send them off. And thus the Spartan 3 program is born. It's kind of messed up when you put it like that, but that's essentially what happened. Yeah. Um, but like Jaden mentioned earlier, the the cost was dramatically lower to get these kids battle ready. Uh, a lot of corners, a lot of corners were cut, especially in their augmentations. Uh, it was less invasive. It was less extreme, less experimental. They they were you know when they were ready to deploy, they were. Definitely enhanced beyond normal human, but nowhere near to the level the Spartan twos were. And also their equipment, their armor was what's called SPI or semi-powered infiltration armor. It was more geared towards stealth, camouflage, and uh, very light, you know, armor protection capability. Whereas the Mjolnir armor, you're basically walking, you're a walking tank. You know, there's nothing that can stop you. It's better than most flak equipment that a UNSC grunt has, but not by much. So that gives you a sense of what the uh, Spartan 3s were going into, into combat with. Needless to say, when you cut a lot of corners, you don't get very good results. And so the first time the Spartan 3s were sent into a mission, that was uh, what's called Operation Prometheus. And that was a mission to disable a Covenant shipyard way behind enemy lines. Uh, do you want to, What happened? Well, the good news is uh, the Spartan 3s were able to infiltrate the asteroid base. They were able to destroy all of the production facilities and uh, destroy the asteroid belt. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, all 300 of them deployed. They were all wiped out. And the worst part about that is that the higher-ups said that was a complete and total success. That's exactly what they were going for. Uh, it's like, I'll say what was failure. <laughs> yeah, really? I guess they all die, but they don't shut down the shipyard. And that's, that's really the black and white, you know, binary sort of outcomes that the Spartan threes were built for. Uh, the second mission, uh, where beta company of the Spartan threes were deployed, didn't fare much better. I mean, that was a operation from uh, torpedo. And that was, a a mission to disable a covenant refu- refinery, you know, refueling point. And I think there were two survivors of that battle, Jaden. I believe so, and uh, which is somewhat better, but the, <laughs> a little bit. Even even the higher ups started to realize that this was a little too costly. So uh, anytime they decided after that, anytime a Spartan three survived, uh, they were given the special treatment of getting to become instructors. Which is which? I don't know how I would feel about that. It's like, hey guys, you know firsthand this program literally gets everyone killed. Now teach other people to do it. Yeah, that's uh, how's that gonna feel when you're training your replacements to 
die instead of you, you know? Yeah, you have to you have to look a ten year old in the eyes and say, "Hey, is it going to be okay?" <laughs> and they're going. You have to look back and go, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" <laughs> Absolutely. But all that aside, let's talk about what these kids had stolen from them in this whole process. The Spartan Two is they're so young being brought into that program and being given a life that they never asked for, they never expected, and of course. The result was bastions of of greatness, you know, the greatest heroes of humanity who defended, you know, the earth and all of her colonies in their time of need. But what was the cost of that? These are these are people who never got to have a childhood. Do you think that's justifiable, Jaden? I guess that's our big question. Do the ends justify the means when it comes to the Spartan two and three programs? Anytime that you are using children to be the shield in the darkness, you have lost the war. These children had no choice. They had no options. They had things that they had to leave behind because they were told it was for the greater good. Who knows if that was their right? You know, what what would they have chosen in their lives? Many of them could have been doctors, lawyers, DJs, artists, painters, but no, they were all forced to pick up a gun and kill on the orders of someone that they didn't even know. Yep. That is not justifiable. Yeah. We we see uh, Dr. Halsey have some moments of doubt, you know, second-guessing herself sometimes. There are some diaries. I can't remember exactly where you find them, but I think she really did believe that in the face of such grave threats like the insurrection, because that was an existential threat to the UNSC, and later the threat of the Covenant was an even greater threat. I, I, I really think she did think that uh, in the long run what she did was the right thing, but I think there's the counter-argument that you alluded to, Jaden, that winning isn't the only thing that matters. How you win also matters. And child soldiers are never okay. It's just, it just flat out isn't. It never is. I think, you know, you, you, you give up a lot of civilization and a lot of humanity when you force children to fight. Just bottom line. Even, Absolutely. Yeah. Even if these are slightly older kids who have lost their families and you can argue that they're a little bit more willing. They're not being literally taken off the street or out of their homes to fight. The Spartan threes, they're different because they were given the option. They might have had more motivation, but you're still sending children into battle. And that's that's just ugly any way you slice it. You will you will never be able to pat yourselves on the back when you realize that you let these innocent children fight for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll you'll always feel like a filthy, disgusting cretin. And that's, that's probably the right thing to feel when, when, absolutely when you it is. That. Yeah. And I, I want to talk briefly about not even just the fact that, you know, not even about the conscription and the force to fight angle of it, but also the more t- intangible things that these people lost. When you look at uh, some of the more famous Spartan twos, the ones you play as like uh, master chief and his blue team, you know, Fred, Linda and Kelly and some of the more popular ones, they're adults at that point. Like after Halo 4, you know, the Covenant Human War is over, but they still don't know anything else other than war. That's that's all they that's all they live to do. So in Halo 5, you see Blue Team like just send us anywhere. Send us somewhere where we can kill something. Like they literally just make us useful, please. They just don't know Master Chief specifically, John 117. In particular, he just never he just never stops. There's no other life for him. So these are people who never got to have a, you know, they never got to fall in love. They never, you know, learned any hobbies. They, 
They just didn't have time to explore themselves. All they care that's, about, all they know is the mission and how to fight, kill, win. That's it. They're like automatons. They, 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 they were, they had a lot of humanity taken from them. Wouldn't you say? Um, absolutely. The one thing that I always want to mention with the Spartans is, you know, the average soldier, when he puts down his gun, when he takes off his helmet, he finally goes home. What does he do? He settles down. He finds, you know, a significant other and he brings up children. He's earned that right. The Spartan twos are asexual. They have basically had that, that thing taken away from them. That most basic of human emotions, which is the desire to, to breed and uh, produce children to carry on your name and your legacy. They don't have that desire in them. It was taken from them when they were children. You know, we have, there are certain examples of Spartans uh, ending up having kids, Spartan twos, but I mean, their sex drive is just completely gone. And that was, you know, all, according to the higher ups, it was all for their, um, oh, well, we don't want the the teenagers fraternizing in the locker rooms while we're trying to make them super soldiers. But no, it was because they didn't want these kids to have any attachments because attachments are dangerous to a soldier. That's why they know, you know, that's why they don't let husbands and wives fight on the front lines together because they don't want you to make a decision that will, you know, ch- that will uh, endanger the mission for the sake of your personal attachments. Because at the end of the day, you are just another number on a board for a, some general in an office somewhere. Right. Yeah. The just the capacity for romance and sexuality is either just trained out of them or augmented out of them. They just don't need that distraction. But even you know that's that's tragic enough. You know just you know, love and, you know, deep, you know, deep relationships are a big part of being a person. But even aside from that, just, you know, you never had time to, you know, explore what makes you happy, what makes you fulfilled as a person. You never had to have a family. And that's not to say that the Spartan twos don't have a sense of family. Obviously they're very loyal to each other. You could even say that it's almost like they have friends in each other, but it, it, it's all in the context of the, of the mission and, you know, the battlefield and, you know, getting things done together. It's just so it feels so hollow in a way that's kind of the hidden cost of war. It kind of takes a little piece of everyone who fights in it. But I think the Spartans had even more taken from them. Hey, it's Abu, executive producer of Lore Party. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, maybe take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.